Hello, everybody. This is Legal Man. Welcome to the show. It's going to be an interesting episode, I think. It's not really even a standard episode. It's kind of a bonus. I don't even know how long it's going to run. I just wanted to say a few things about this Pennsylvania court ruling that struck down the restrictions, or at least some of the restrictions, because people seem so interested about it. And it's so clear that people don't know anything about the system and are quite confused. So I wanted to just tell people a few things about it so they could understand it. Now, for people who don't know me, I'm a lawyer. I've practiced for 30 years, and I'm America's most trusted lawyer for more than a decade now. And that's only been rising during this pandemic because I'm one of the few telling the truth. So let's go ahead and get the show started. This case came down, I think, on Monday of this week. And it was, you know, made a big splash. Oh, and, you know, they they were striking down unconstitutional restrictions, this and that. And I read the opinion. It's 66 pages long, okay? (laughs) And there's a lot of good stuff in there, but there's a lot of stuff in there that's I mean, just legal jargon crap. That's so many opportunities for this thing to get blown up on appeal. Just so many. And I wanted to make sure people at least kind of understood that what happened in that case and the memorandum opinion, it is just such confirmation that all the things I've been discussing in my podcasts now about this pandemic are just, we're just so dead on the money because this is really kind of the first time there was an opportunity to take some sworn testimony from these government jokers. And I mean, the information that came out, it was so far beyond embarrassing to them. But of course, they aren't embarrassed. But it was amazing to see an actually an honest judge. And there are some on there. He's only been on the bench for a year. He got put up there in 2019. So he's a very new judge to the federal court. And he wrote, I think, a very good opinion. And I think he's very down the middle. I mean, he he certainly wasn't extreme in any way. He finds that his violations of the Constitution, multiple violations, and the things that were brought up were the, the mask wearing wasn't part of it. It was business closings, the total number of people who could meet in groups, and the requirement that the people stay at home, these sort of stay-at-home orders, so the sort of lockdown orders. Those are the only three issues. The masks weren't actually in the case. And he struck down all of them for a variety of reasons. And I'm not going to go into all the details because you're never going to be able to keep them straight. You'd really have to be a lawyer or I'd have to spend weeks explaining stuff to you. And, and there's no point getting the takeaway. The, the important things to take away from it are just because it's in federal court does not mean it applies to everybody. It still only applies to the people in Pennsylvania because that's who the lockdown restrictions applied to. And... So that's all it is. It's just Pennsylvania, and it could, if it went all the way up to appeal and was upheld, it could theoretically be some kind of precedent for several states that are in that circuit. But really, it's not a national case. It's just a case for Pennsylvania. First, you have that. Second of all, in all likelihood, they're going to get a stay pending appeal since the government's involved. So they're definitely going to appeal this thing, and in all likelihood, they'll be granted a stay, meaning that the judge's orders striking it down will be stayed until the appeal is heard. 
So there's really no effect at all for all practical purposes at this time, except to get people stirred up and thinking that they're going to somehow get their rights protected through the courts. I, I, I don't like to be a, a sort of a, a Debbie Downer, but reading this opinion and reading all the different supposed delicate balancing of constitutional jurisprudence that they claim has to go on here, it's just an absolute smorgasbord of opportunity for mischief in the appellate court. Just all the different standards they're talking about using, whether it has to be a rational basis of strict scrutiny or it's neutral scrutiny, or if it has to be, they have to show a clear and convincing, is there a presumption in favor, is there a presumption against, all these things are evidentiary and legal standards and burdens that all it takes is for the court to use a different one than the one he used, and in all likelihood, it's going to get tossed. Now, the facts that came out, as I said, were so, so damaging, just unbelievable. It appears they got to take about 18 different witnesses at a hearing. They got this sort of accelerated hearing, and it wasn't a trial in front of a jury. It was a trial to the bench. In other words, to the court. And it was, like I said, the information that came out was pretty staggering. They actually determined that the, the group who was charged with dreaming up these restrictions and these rules and the lockdowns and the business closings and the number of people and the percentage and all these different stupid things I've been talking about for months, it is a group that has no actual set number of names. So you can't even go find the names of the people who are actually in the group. They, they didn't keep any minutes at all. They didn't reduce any of their findings down to writing. They basically just had an ad hoc series of meetings, hundreds, potentially thousands they testified, depending on how you want to, what you want to call a meeting and what they were calling a meeting, in which there was absolutely no public oversight no minutes kept. <laughs> Basically, no documentation to indicate anything they were doing except for when they would submit the stuff to be put published online as a new requirement. <laughs> this, is, this is how it was done. Basically, you could have anybody in those meetings. We have no idea who was in there. Could be all sorts of bad actors placed in there. there we don't have any record whatsoever. There's no written record from which to review to see if what they were doing was anything even remotely okay. You can't even find out who was in the meetings. <laughs> it's, it's just the most outrageous abuse. And this, I'm sure, went on all over the country. This just gives you the level of arrogance and entitlement that these government employees have. They literally just sit around having group meetings, making phone calls, exchanging some stuff, and then just dreaming something up and imposing it on the public with absolutely no restrictions, nothing, no backing up. Not a single person on the team that came up with any of these rules was a medical doctor. <laughs> not a single one. There's no way to know what they use. You don't know who was in there, and you don't even have the most important thing of all is that the businesses were closed based upon this idea that they dreamed up called life-sustaining businesses. Okay, there's no definition for that anywhere in any statute. It's just something they dreamed up like social distancing. It's called a life-sustaining business. There is no definition. They never wrote down a definition. So they, they, your business would be closed if it was not a life-sustaining business, and there was no definition for it. 
They admitted under cross that the definition they even were working with, the unwritten definition, changed at least 10 different times. <laughs> 10 different times! And one of the procedures they had was that if you were categorized as a non-life-sustaining business, thus you had to close, there was some type of appeal process that you could go through with the bullshit in the state, basically make phone calls, and they, they, they had a team of people, again, unnamed group of people, manning this who would make decisions, yes, you are, no, you aren't. How they could ever make a decision like this when there's nothing even written down is beyond absurd. But the more outrageous part is, if you were non-life sustaining and you went through the process and therefore you lost, well, they could change the, the definition they were working with and then you might actually fit it, but there was no procedure to then go back and get your business reopened. And they got so far behind in all the requests that they simply canceled the entire process by which you might be able to exempt yourself. <laughs> so they create a process with no definition for life sustaining and then they implement it, and then they allow appeal, and then they get so far behind in this ridiculous system, they simply cancel the entire system and just require that the businesses stay closed. <laughs> so this is all in the record. And this all came out uh, because people were finally sworn in and required to take positions. And just, just think about all the bullshit you'd have heard from the podium about life-sustaining this, and they would act acted like it was some fucking medical term, a technical this or that. But then when you swear them in, what happens? They get exposed for just completely making shit up with no basis at all. And this judge smacks them and just says, look, it's completely arbitrary and capricious. You have absolutely no definition for it. You're just closing businesses. It's completely absurd. I mean, just beyond ridiculous. And they did pick up on the fact that they weren't even calling this a quarantine. Of course, they call it a quarantine out in public, but it's not a quarantine. They called it health risk mitigation efforts. Okay, again, just a made-up thing. All of these things are just Barnum Statement bullshit, as I've said over and over. There is no working definition of any of these things, but the judge, on page 42 of the order, in footnote, in footnote 20, he basically sets out what I've said from my very first show that if, in fact, the state was attempting to quarantine somebody, even if they were just going to classify it as a quarantine, even if it wasn't, in fact, a quarantine, if they just want to call it a quarantine, the individual citizen subject to that has both procedural and substantive due process rights prior to the time of any kind of restraint. And those were, and I'm quoting, at a minimum, these include the requirement that the quarantine be imposed only when it's necessary for public health, in other words, they have to be able to prove you're sick, continuing, and only when it is accompanied by procedural due process protections, including notice, the right to a hearing before an independent decision maker, and the right to counsel, and that the state must prove its case with clear and convincing evidence. <laughs> I mean... This has been my point since day one. If they were going to try to lock you down, they would have to come in and make their damn case. But because they have this bogus emergency horseshit litigation that they just dream up out of a statue and then go off into a dark room and come out with some shit, they can just lock everybody down without any proof. And now when they're made to come up with any kind of proof, they don't have any damn proof. They don't have any damn proof. 
<laughs> That's the bottom line. As I've known since day one, and anybody with half a brain has known, that this is just being cooked up. It's just arbitrary shit they're dreaming up. Now you have an order and you have a record and it shows exactly that. Now, I don't expect people to get too excited about this opinion. At least I hope they don't because the idea that this thing's going to last, I think, is extremely low. There are so many different ways this can be attacked and changed and altered by people with either bad motives or simply a political agenda. There's just no way this thing's going to be sustained. They're going to dream up additional standards because there are so many and it's not even clear how which standard to use. Even the court itself was citing all sorts of different court opinions that all use different standards. And, and the standards themselves are Barnum statements. And so what I'm saying is Yes, it's a very good opinion, uh, at least as far as I can see from what I read. The guy's being very honest. He did a very thorough job with it. But it's not going to carry the day in the end. It's just not. We're, we're going to get screwed in the end. The Supreme Court, I already did a case on how the Supreme Court already screwed people with the standards it's used to evaluate the case that came up to it in California with regards to whether or not they could arbitrarily, in effect, close these religious institutions and, and limit the number of people. And they used a, a legal standard that was completely impossible to ever uh, meet. And so I assume that's going to happen as we move forward. But another very interesting thing about this case is that the order when it finally came down, this memorandum opinion order, it's number 79 inside the ECF system on that case. That means 79 different legal documents have been filed into that case. 79. It was started in early May. So not only does it take four months to get any kind of relief from them, and that's on an expedited emergency kind of basis that the court agreed to, but God knows how much money they've had to spend on this thing. Multiple levels of briefing, huge amounts of investigation, a long hearing. This was a lot of money they're already spending, and it's far from over. And it's also far from clear what the end result will be. But most people are never going to be able to afford anything like this. And I mean... Yeah, it's a good opinion, but I'm just telling you, we already have seen the Supreme Court uphold this stuff with split opinions. And what this judge relied on when it came to the basis for the legal standard was some dissent language and from horn books. <laughs> he doesn't really have any good cases on his side for this. He's just doing the right thing because... He knows this is outrageous, but I just don't see how this thing's going to survive. If it does survive, the other thing about it is that cases like this are often used as what are called roadmaps uh, in legal sort of terminology. In other words, the state will now see what the allegations are and what the court sort of pulls on. And they'll simply next time, they'll make sure that they keep a record, they invent a definition, and they have in their record some kind of bullshit saying this is necessary and here's why. And they'll, they'll have some expert kind of statement in there. And once they have things like that, now you really don't even have much of a way to challenge it. And so 
I would expect what's going to happen moving forward is it's not that these restrictions are going to go away. It's that the restrictions are going to get locked down with extremely good lawyering with regards to how to draft them. <laughs> what they did this time, I still suspect what happened was they, they created this nonsensical uh, lockdown and the people were so okay with it. There was so little resistance. They've just kept going with it and that they never expected to do this. It never expected to be able to have this little resistance. But next time, Next time, I guarantee you, when they put the restrictions, the lockdowns, and the different things on, they're going to have an entirely new set of procedural mechanisms for doing it because virtually all of this stuff is procedural that they're complaining about. The fact that there is this is arbitrary and capricious and there's no evidence of this, believe me, they will stuff into the record with their own fucking bought and paid for experts, reasons and health reasons and all sorts of other things. They'll put it in, they'll, they'll build a procedural record and they will lock this down next time. Even assuming these things go up and get struck down, they'll come back up with new restrictions that will just avoid them. I just, that's what's going to happen. People have to understand that if you don't take this this authority away from government, then they're going to use the system and eventually they're simply going to get it right because the reality is they can get it wrong and get it wrong and get it wrong. You make one mistake, they get it right one time, you're screwed. <laughs> all they have to do is get it right one time and you lose all your rights. See, so they can lose and lose and lose. It doesn't cost them a dime. All this litigation, these costs, this is all paid for by you. <laughs> this is all paid for by you. And so the government can make mistake after mistake after mistake and then get it right and it's over. <laughs> and you can win and win and win and spend all this money and all the incredible amounts of money and cost and time. And then you lose one time and it's over. <laughs> That's the way it really works. And so I'm just not very optimistic. But I was happy to see that there was an honest guy out there. And I know people were interested in it. So I wanted to say something about it. And hopefully it's been somewhat helpful so you can now understand kind of what the opinion actually ends up meaning, and you're welcome to read it, and the unbelievable way that it confirms that what I suspected was happening and what I suspected would happen if you could ever cross-examine these people does happen. They're just exposed to be complete frauds. So I think that's all I'm going to say about it. hope you enjoyed this little bonus episode, and... Uh, if you like my podcast and, you know, go down there and manipulate the numbers or go to your podcast players, Spotify or Apple or whatever you like and, and subscribe, listen, share the thing with somebody that you think might like it because we got to at least get an opportunity to hear some truth. And that's what I'm trying to do here. I also am on Twitter, Legal Man at US Law Review, and I have my blog linked below as well. So that's going to be it for my show today. Everybody have a nice night or day. Take care. Taking away the